The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 320, coming to you on Tuesday, July 16th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football, including the Trojans scheduling an FCS team for the first time in history. We're going to be joined with our friend Trent Goodrich and talk about all that and open up the mailbag here on this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. And we have a special guest, Reign of Troy contributor, Trent Goodrich. Hey, guys. How you doing? It's good to have you, man. Uh, if you're not following Trent on Twitter, you really should. Tgood underscore four. Excellent source of US football talk and so much more it's great to have you on the show because we got into discussion on our slack channel from patreon about the fcs stuff and i'm like we got to get you on the pod so uh here we are oh yeah i mean i got opinions aplenty on this subject uh you hear it from all sides i mean i'm hearing it from my parents i'm hearing it from twitter everywhere i mean th- this is a big deal so i can't wait to jump into that usc's pocketbook can't wait either, but we'll see that uh, a little bit more here in this episode. Uh, I mentioned Patreon. This is the perfect time to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, because it's July. A lot of good stuff in July, and not just like 115 degree weather in Phoenix right now, and not just trade deadline deals in baseball, but it's position preview season for us at Reign of Troy, isn't it, Alicia? Yeah, everybody's loved uh, the last two times that we've done this, and so I'm really excited to jump back into it. And do position previews for uh, the fall camp ahead of fall camp. It's a really nice moment just to sort of reacquaint yourself with uh, each of USC's units and all the players that are going to be involved in the fall camp festivities and then obviously the season. So yeah, we've gotten tons of good feedback about the position previews that we've done in the past. So it's always something to look forward to. And that mean what it, what it really means for our patrons is literally daily bonus podcasts, which is always fun. Yep. Uh, about 20, 25, 30 minutes about every single unit, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, every position group, we go in detail and talk about the battles, talk about the players to watch, where they stand on the depth chart, and all that stuff going into fall camp and then going into the season. That will be happening starting next week and go on for a couple of weeks here as we get into fall camp, which is a few weeks away. Um, But before we get into the news and talking about the FCS stuff, I did want to get to some reviews that we got uh, because we got a big review last week that got people riled up, which means we got 
three new reviews this week. Uh, Let me read the first one. comes from 85 Gas Man uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can go there and leave a review. He gave us five stars titled USC Alumnus 77. I listen to a couple of different USC football podcasts, and I always look forward to what Michael and Alicia discuss regarding the team. You don't have to have played college football or coached it to be able to speak intelligently about the game or the team. They put in the time to watch practices and interview players and coaches so that guys like me can get a better understanding of how the team is preparing and progressing. Thanks for all the work both of you put into the podcast. Also enjoy reading insightful articles on the Reign of Troy app. Good work and fight on. I promise that was not written by either one of our parents. It was 85 Gas Man, and always thankful to hear that kind of stuff. I've got another one from Coach Wes. Yeah, this one is five stars. Uh, he says, a five-year fan and counting. They say, I've been a huge fan of Rot Radio since I first found them when they were in the low double-digit episodes. Michael and Alicia have put together one of the perfect by-us-for-us type of team-based podcasts. The duo perfectly personifies the life of friends who are passionate fans of USC. The podcast that they started was purposed to have the feel of friends talking about the ins and outs of their favorite college football team. From that, they have managed to build a brand over the years, and that is so awesome. There have been takes that I don't agree with due to my knowledge of the game that comes from the perspective of someone who played high school football and now coaches high school football, but I understand that their perspective is that of an avid fan and not a former player or coach's standpoint. If any of you have ever paid attention to USC Twitter, you'll understand that many fans have absolutely no idea what they're talking about making Rot the perfect go-between for the know-nothing couch coaches and the more informed supporters. With Michael's fun facts and horrible food takes, and Alicia's spot-on media insight, these two have helped motivate me to pursue what has been a dream for me, and now I am writing for a sports media platform. This is the first review that I have ever left, which is mainly due to that D-bag that left a one-star review, even though it sounds like he's a regular listener to the show. Don't stop doing what you're doing, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to be about the growth. Uh, fight on from Coach Wes, and uh, that was that's I like I love that. Thank you, uh, Coach Wes, for that. Is particularly because the idea that we've sparked somebody to go follow a dream and and start writing is is really really awesome. Especially someone like he's been listening since the low double digit episodes. That's a long time. I, I do time. feel bad for him a little bit, like. Low double digit. You know how bad we were back then? That's a, I mean, that's a long time to be listening to us. I mean, he's literally grown with us, like, through all of the, the bad audio quality that we used to have, <laughs> all mm-hmm. of the just, like, crazy disorganization. Uh, yeah, we, we've come a long way, I think, so I appreciate that. Just a little bit. Uh, we got one last one from Randy V5. It says, why are they hating? And give us five stars. Podcast for the fans from Parafans. Don't change one bit. The Thunder and Lightning of USC podcast. I don't know if I would call us the Thunder and Lightning. I, I don't think I'm, you know, Lendale White or Reggie Bush. I don't think you are either. I think maybe we're like, uh, you know, Sunny Bird and Sultan McCullough or something. You know what? I'm going to take the compliment. I'm going to take the... What if, what if we are Vivai Malapai and Stephen Carr projecting a little into the future? Thunder and Lightning? I'm definitely Vi. Are you? Vi's my guy. And then I'm the one, I, I have the, the, the high ceiling, but I haven't got there yet, and I'm being injury prone a little bit in the first <laughs> the, couple of years. You're the home run hitter? Occasionally yeah. you have really good food takes, and occasionally you don't. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I just want to be the marquee step, so that's where, <laughs> I, that's where I'm going with that, is give me the ball at the goal line, let's get it in there. That's what he does, <laughs> that's exactly what he does. Uh, let's get into this FCS talk uh, and the news up next, we'll be right back. 
right, guys, let's talk about USC scheduling an FCS team for the first time in school history. The first time since 1978 when the two divisions in Division One split into two. You had Division One A and Division One AA, then it became the FBS and the FCS. And USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame, three schools who never scheduled anyone in the lower division, ever, until Friday when USC came out with news that they had filled their non-conference schedule through 2023, adding UC Davis in 2021, Nevada in 2023, and San Jose State in 2024. Uh, There is an opening in 2024, probably going to be one of those neutral site games in 2024. So look forward to that, but not much more to be excited about because USC is playing UC Davis. And according to the USC press release, UC Davis will be the Trojans' first ever FCS opponent. The Aggies have won or shared 31 conference championships, including the 2018 Big Sky title. When they advanced to the quarterfinals of the FCS playoff, USC had negotiated in recent years with a number of FBS schools to schedule a game on that open 21-2021 date, but could not reach an agreement. Trent, I know you've got opinions about this. Fire away. The whole scheduling an F- FCS school to me is something that I don't think should have never happened. It's not some horrible thing that just completely makes USC look terrible. But as with anything, I think it's in the way in the way that they did it. That's what bothers me about how this all came about. We talk about USC excellence and exceptionalism and all those things. Well, if this was done with a plan in mind, if there was a solid reason, okay, hey, maybe we come out and say the SEC schools are doing this. It's giving them a competitive advantage. They're taking these games against FCS schools, placing them the week before playing their biggest rivals. You'll see Alabama playing an FCS school before Auburn or LSU quite frequently. The SEC sets up the schedule in a way that allows their big time schools to be successful. If USC was doing something like that and saying, okay, we'll play UC Davis the week before Notre Dame. Okay, maybe I see a different argument there. There's a plan there. There's We're giving ourselves an extra buy so that we can go into these big time matchups to face a big time opponent. But when you're saying, okay, we're doing this because we want to have seven home games and it's about the money. I guess that's a plan, but that to me, that's not a good enough reason to break this tradition of excellence. That's a, we dropped the ball. We tried to take too much money from some of these other schools that we could have scheduled, uh, but we decided not to. And so that to me, it's just another failure of this athletic department. Yeah. I think when you, when you look at it, I think you nailed all the points there. Um, if they played the, you know, this is going to improve our playoff chances because of X, Y, and Z card rather than just, well, this is another opponent that, you know, SC could play and everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is doing it is not a reason to schedule an FCS team. You got to have a reason behind it. And the reason behind it here is pretty clear. It's in the press release. They admitted it right here. USC had negotiated in recent years the number of FBS schools to schedule a game on that open date in 2021, but could not reach an agreement. It all comes down to that, that one sentence. Like, it's plain as day. What's the difference between UC Davis and San Jose State? Relatively minimal, right? Like, neither one of them is going to overly help or hurt your playoff discussion, right? No, absolutely. Like, and and that's something that was brought up in, in the aftermath of this whole thing is like, oh, you know, UC Davis isn't that different than... You know, name a name a bottom dwelling FBS school like Joey Kaufman said that. And yeah, when his his tweet was for the record. There's far too much fuss over the distinction between low FBS and upper FCS teams. UC Davis had a better Sagarin rating rating last year than UNLV, which is USC's opening opponent. Right, that's a great point. It is, but 
but but it's kind of missing the point. Like, I think it's a good point for those who are out there going, like, you have to have the level of competition or whatever. But it's right. kind of missing the point, which, which like Trump brought up, it's about this sort of exceptionalism that USC is now thrown away because of incompetence. Like, that's the way I'm looking at it. It's the, Playing UC Davis is not going to help USC's playoff chances. Any more than playing Charleston Southern helps Alabama's playoff chances. The reason Alabama gets to the playoff is because they have Nick Saban as their head coach, and they win most of their games, and they get to the playoff and they win national titles. Like, the, the reason that USC hasn't gone to the playoff yet has nothing to do with having played BYU or Texas or even Alabama. Like, USC didn't deserve to be in the playoff in 2016 either way. So it's not like these, these, uh, the tougher scheduling is the reason that USC has been left out. No, they, they literally just broke a tradition, a, a thing that made them extremely unique along with their two rivals. And maybe it would be different if it was USC and Tennessee and, uh, you know, uh, and, Boston College. Boston College or something like that, who were the three. Right. Maybe it would feel different. But when it's USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame, and USC is the first one to blink, it's, you're just looking at it going like, come on, especially because like you guys both pointed out, they blinked not because they made a conscious decision of, you know what, we don't care about this tradition, whatevs, let's just schedule an FCS. It, they blinked because they they screwed up. They screwed up. You had this this hundreds of years now of... of of uh, well, a hundred years of tradition that USC has had. I know you talked about going back to the seventies, whatever it is, long stretch of tradition that just got broken because they 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 didn't negotiate well enough, or they got too greedy in their negotiation, or they left mm-hmm. it too late, or whatever reason it is. It all comes back to somebody was incompetent and didn't get the job done, and now USC falls out of that elite group, which. It, like, I put this on Twitter. In the grand scheme of things, like, it doesn't mean anything. It's not a big deal. It really isn't. Like, I'm upset more because of how this represents USC in the broader sense of here's another little thing that you that shows that USC isn't managing their athletic department well. Right. Yeah, because it shows their inability to negotiate. It shows their inability to have forward thinking. It shows the inability to plan it out, like... Like Trent was saying, because I think there's a point to be made that playing an FCS team can be a benefit to to the playoff and all that stuff. But if that was the case, SC should have done this in 2000 and what was it six when the Pac-12 went to nine games yeah. to a nine game schedule. They should have said, well, if we're going to go to a nine game schedule, then we're going to play FCS teams. And, you know, it would have been at least a clear cut reason. Well, we're adding another P- power five team to the schedule but to offset that we're gonna play an fcs team or if sc came out and been and said you know what we're dropping notre dame or campaigning for for there to be eight games again in in the pac-12 if they did those things it would show me that they cared about making the playoff but really what does this come down to having the seven home games and having the seven home games i think is fine i think you want more money at home to to make off those tickets and all that stuff I don't think that's a terrible idea. I don't think it's a it's a scandal. I don't think it's, you know, greed for the sake of greed. Yes, it's greedy, but I also think it's business and I get it. But at the same point, you're making more money, so then you can't afford to turn around and be like, "Oh, but we didn't want to pay for someone like Nevada until 2023." Yeah, like, the, it's Nevada. They got Rice in 2022, Nevada and like 
Rice, Nevada, San Jose State, Fresno State. Like, you can go out and right. get schools like that. This is just – and honestly, I would rather USC was had come out and said they were being altruistic. You know what, guys? We're going to pay for UC Davis's football program to exist by playing them. Like, if they did something like that, I would take it better than just this blatant, we suck and we didn't get this done. Or on the other side of the coin, you could say – you know what, we're going to take this money from the extra home game and reinvest it into the program because we're falling behind some of these other schools and other conferences. The mm-hmm. SEC is making more money. The Big Ten is making more money. Well, we need to find a way to maintain our competitiveness throughout the nation and not just rely on the name USC and rely on our recruiting base in California. You know what, we're going to take some of this money and invest into the staff somehow. We're going to have more support staff to help the recruiting, to help the coaches, just something like that. It might not make it right in the eyes of people around the USC program, but at the same time, that at least shows a plan. Exactly. 100%. Show us the work. Show us that that there is some thought behind this besides, uh, um, to be honest, we were going to schedule Wyoming, but you know, Wyoming Wyoming wanted $1.2 million and we were only willing to give $1.1 million because that's what, it, that's what it comes off of when there's in the press release that SC had negotiated but couldn't agree for in recent years, which says that they were trying, but what do all those negotiations have in common? USC. It's a, it's a common denominator. How hard were they trying is what I want to know, because the 2021 date should have been filled years ago. We've been 100%. talking about that 2021 date for a while now. Which makes me think two things. Number one, were they wanting to see how the FCS game went? And is this a tester? Uh, did they always just plan to, you know, have an FCS opponent um, as a as a you know, a barometer to see how it goes. And maybe in 2026, they do it again based on how it goes in 2021, if they deem it a success or whatever. Maybe that ends up being the case, right? I'm not going to give them that kind of credit, though. No, <laughs> I'm not going to No, I'm not either, but I'm just saying, like, maybe, maybe that's, maybe, right? Yeah, if we want to give them, like, the biggest benefit of the doubt, it's that there is the, there is a plan, they're just being nefarious about it. Sure. To, to me, what what ends up being the black mark more than anything. Imagine if SC ends up in 2026, the, the next time they have to go schedule one of these opponents and it's San Diego State. And then in 2026, it's Wyoming and New Mexico. And then 2027, it's UMass and uh, Southern Alabama. And it's all these FC, FBS teams like they should have been, right? Won't it feel better if they end up scheduling more FCS teams at just one time? Well, and, you've like, already you've already lost the bragging rights or whatever. Like, right. you've already broken the streak. So, so what so even if, is if the point? Just, if yeah. you broke it just for one game, that just seems like a little bit of a waste. No, at this point, I'm semi in favor of being altruistic and helping out some of the FCS schools that are in Los- that are in California and giving them a payday. Yeah, if you do it once, you can't get it back. And yeah, that's, exactly. That's yeah. that's it's it's over. So you play UC Davis and open the floodgates. Let's see Sac State. Let's see Cal Poly. Let's see them all. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah, you might as well. San Diego, all those schools. Um, at, at this rate, like, what do you have to lose? Nothing. You've already you've already lost it. Uh, we got a text message from Greg in Woodland Hills who says, "I'm not the type of person that will easily call for someone to be fired. I understand that there are some nuances and situations that aren't public, but man, the USC athletic department appears to be such a mess. I am in support of a new administration at this point. The FC FCS games are that tipping point to me. It's inexcusable, Trent." How do you feel about this idea that it's the tipping point? Does this feel like the tipping point, or is this just yet another strike against this against this program? I'd have to I'd have to say it's just another strike. I mean, 
at we're at strike seven or something something like that it's, with it's this deep in the count yeah deep we're way i mean we're way past the first hitter of the inning it's there's so many things that you can point to with this athletic department and just the lack of leadership that you see constantly the lack of oversight that you see with the scandals that have occurred and just just little things within all of the sports programs that don't reflect well upon USC FCS schools I mean it's another it's another bad look but at the end of the day I don't think this is this is the telling moment or anything like that it wasn't holding they weren't holding on to the edge and now we're just done with them I think it we're past that point already yeah it's just another thing uh, just because SC just keeps adding these things on top of other ones at, at this point um we got an email from Dan who says why not schedule a home and home with Northwestern and you still has an open date in 2021 and 2023. These are odd years in USC would play in Evanston and South Bend in one of those years. That seems like a small compromise compared to breaking the FBS only tradition and presumably never playing a non-conference, non-Notre Dame Power 5 team in the Coliseum again. Uh, Alicia, the Northwestern stuff is interesting because they basically came out and said they were not going to schedule home and homes ever again. But it seems like that potentially could have been a thing. I mean, we're not overly privy to all the negotiations or anything. Uh, and what Northwestern is trying to get in 2021, maybe they're looking for an FCS team or what or what have you. But that would have been cool. I mean, two trips to Chicago in one year. I, like, I'm totally cool with that. In September and October, you get you're you're at Wrigley for the 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 pennant race and the the, the uh, NLCS. I'm good with that. Well, clearly people in USC's athletic department aren't Cubs or White Sox fans, so that may White be part Sox. of it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, but uh, I think this is this is the the Northwestern thing. I agree. That would have been I would have been fine with it. The thing is that USC came out with that um basically primer for from Steve Lopes a few months ago that was basically saying like, yeah, no. Um they want they are they are devoted to the seven home game thing and a home and home with Northwestern wouldn't allow them to do that for the 2023 right. season. So that's just off the off the table, essentially. Um, and that's that's unfortunate. We had this conversation back then, like I like home and homes. It gives you the opportunity to go to different home stadiums and bowl games and those one off games that are the sort of um, like the Arlington kind of games. It's not the same like. You don't get to see the tailgate college atmosphere of other campuses outside the Pac-12 if you're not scheduling home and homes, and it's I'm I'm quite sad actually to see that to see this change in philosophy just from that perspective. And I just think that they do have the standing home and home with Notre Dame, um, and that that does make it a little difficult to say okay we're going to do two home and homes, an another home and home on top of the Notre Dame uh, series. But at the same time, that's that's another one of the USC excellence deals where you know what we're just going to do it anyway. We are going to play Texas, and it doesn't matter because we're going to succeed in that situation regardless of how good. Notre Dame and Texas are that year, or whoever it may be. I think that playing a difficult schedule is something that you can be proud of and that maybe it's not the smartest thing in the world or the best way to get to the playoff. But at the same time, if you're good enough, if you're the Pete Carroll era Trojans, I don't think it makes that much of a difference who's in front of you. Everything you said, Trent, is on point. And those are reasons to be like, you know what? We want to play Notre Dame and we like playing Texas. So let's get rid of the ninth conference game. And then 
or threaten to get rid of the Notre Dame game. And I'm not saying to actually get rid of the Notre Dame game, but when you have the nine conference games plus Notre Dame, it makes it hard to have those home and home games. So I get it, but all those things are reasons to be out there with a plan, with sight of all these things happening and be like, you know what? Yeah, we, we don't want the nine games and we want to make things better and more advantageous because you can absolutely make an argument if Notre Dame and USC were not a thing, SC's in the playoff in 2017. One conference loss, one loss, they go they go 12-1, and one, they win the conference, no one loss conference champ in the Power Five has been held out of the playoff. SC would have been 12-1. and one. They didn't play Notre Dame with, with their only loss of four points to or three points to Washington State. I have no interest in USC being Washington. I have zero interest in that. Being 11-1, and one, going to the playoff and getting your pants beat off by Bama? No. Sure. I want to be able to be playing Notre Dame and proving, no, like if we got to the playoff, we'll represent in the playoff. Like, that's my big thing about the whole, like Trent was saying, like, take on all comers because you prove yourself against those teams. Because we knew, like, for instance, why do we know that the 2008 USC team would have rolled through a playoff? Because Pete Carroll proved himself time and time again against that level of, of competition. And in that year, they got screwed over, but it was screwed over by conference, by their by their own a uh, bad half of football, and then also by playing in the conference, that the 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 conference schedule wasn't the out of conference schedule because they proved themselves time and time again in the out of conference schedule. So, like that to me is irrelevant. And and like I said, like if if playing UC Davis means that USC goes to the playoff, I I would rather see USC beat Texas. But, but it's and, not. Well, that's my that's my, my point the whole time has like, been. There's no UC difference Davis between. UC Davis and San Jose State. Like, right, but there, San Jose there's no State, difference. But San Jose State is the caliber of opponent that you'll play if you're not willing to schedule home and homes. That's the thing. For sure. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with Alicia there that I also don't want to see them in the playoff if it's, oh, we were 2012 Notre Dame and we just walked into the national championship yeah, and we have, no bus- we have no business being here. Or Washington in the playoff, Notre Dame in the playoff this past year. I mean – that's not i don't i don't think that's a good look i think that just lets the entire country go oh see they aren't that good oh the pac-12 isn't very good told you so they're they don't deserve to be there i understand that making the playoff is big deal and it's a positive but getting there and getting demolished to me is not very enticing yeah and as long as you have notre dame on the schedule um if notre dame sucks in, in a given year then that's just being unlucky Right. Like Notre Dame is on that schedule to make that schedule look good and to have tradition. Um, and the nine games just, you know, add on and, and make it super tough. And that's why SC and Stanford ended up always playing just about the nation's toughest schedule. Uh, Dan's second question here before we get to the rest of the news is what role will President Folt have played in this decision? And is this a prediction of future decisions for USC athletics? Zero. I don't have insider knowledge. I know neither of you guys do, but I'm telling you right now, it's zero because this decision was made months ago. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, you know, officially w- w- with signed documents, but the article that was written in The Athletic with, with Steve Lopes and the, the interview and all that stuff, that was tipping their hand. They knew about this. They knew that this was the plan. If, if this was a new decision that President Folt had a, a say in, then it would have happened different. It would have carried out differently. Also, I know it's easy to to sit here and say that 
anything that happens could be a sign of President Fult. We have no information that says that she's going to be overly hands-on with everything in in the athletic department. I hope There's to a God. lot of crap going on in this university. Yeah. It's very possible that athletics ends up being something that's not touched for a while, and rightfully so. As, she shouldn't as, be you know, making micromanaging decisions in the athletic department. She's right. got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, just, just a little bit. Uh, but uh, let's take a quick break, talk about the rest of the news up next. Alright, let's get to one of my favorite tweets in the history of Twitter. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. The football program. Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Sooners. Tweeted out on Monday. Respect. CFB on Fox analyst Reggie Bush with their boy C.D. Lamb. And two goat emojis. And a picture of C.D. Lamb and Reggie Bush effectively calling them both goats calling Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time, something that USC cannot officially say. How how weird was that to see? Like, weird, right? Like, how do we live in a world where Oklahoma, Reggie Bush beat Oklahoma in the national championship game, and USC cannot tweet out the same thing about anything about Reggie Bush? I, I saw you, you tweeted that out from the Raina Troy account, and I was triggered like hardcore, like flashing lights, like triggered because it just, it, it got me angry. It really got me angry. The the disassociation is so stupid. Oh, it's so, so, so very stupid. And every once in a while I'm reminded of why. And this is a prime example of why, because you are correct. USC's official athletics Twitter account could not at Reggie Bush today, tomorrow, or Pac-12 Media Day when he is at Pac-12 Media Day. USC's official account will not be able to post pictures or do I'm, anything showing yeah. Reggie Bush with any of USC's they, players. They, they, I believe they posted a picture when he was at the um, Pac-12 championship game in 2015. Um, for the Oh, when he the, was honored on the All-Century the team? The 100-year, yeah, the All-Century thing. I think they did post a picture of him, but yeah, I, I don't think that you would see USC tweeting that out, which is super unfortunate because it's Reggie Bush, man. It's Reggie Bush. All right, let's get to a California bill. Uh, the bill that we've talked about before is moving along in the California State Assembly Committee on Higher Education. According to ESPN, the committee voted 9-0, which is a great freaking number for USC. 9-0, moving it forward. <laughs> and Chairman Jose Medina called the NCAA's threats and requests to slow down uh, the legislative process during the past couple of months, quote, akin to bullying. Um, Trent, you are a Division One student athlete in the state of California. What is your take on this whole California stuff about having, you know, the ability to get likeness and, and all that stuff? Because it's a big, it seems to me, it's a big deal for students and for the progression of the game and everything. And it's absurd that the NCAA is trying to slow this down. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I'm, I couldn't be happier with the state of California for taking this on and flexing their muscle against the NCAA, which is, in the end, I think is something that will work out for athletes everywhere, that this is this could be a landmark 
decision and by the state of California to compensate players for their likeness. And this is something that I think about a lot. And when I discuss, you know, should student athletes be paid with people uh, in any area of my life, that this is the thing I go to is that I don't necessarily think that student athletes should be just employees that are paid, but the fact that they can't capitalize on their own likeness due to the fame that they generate because of their talents, I think it's criminal. I I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I know it has been brought up to me that there's potential drawbacks uh, with this because universities could use it as a recruiting tool uh, or Oregon could really throw the Nike sponsorship behind, you know, throw that weight behind recruiting to help them bring in players. Aren't they already doing it though? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely, definitely. I mean, that's, that's true, but I think you're talking real dollars going directly to the player eventually. That, that is a potential problem that could happen. But at the same time, I just, I feel for all these athletes that they're, they aren't going to be professionals. There are guys who do have a great deal of fame in college and they will either get a, just a taste of what it's like to be a professional or they won't be drafted or they'll get injured and, um, there, it, it might, maybe it's not life changing money. Maybe eventually there's some kind of cap put on it or something like that to where the athlete can't just make unlimited money off signing autographs or whatever it may be. But I just think there's, it's time to move past that people can't capitalize on themselves. I mean, I, I just think that there's a value to these players and the NCAA gets to benefit from the value of these players tremendously. So that's, that's my take on this. Yeah, and it would allow us to hopefully get an NCAA football game back. Yeah, I couldn't that's be all, happier about that. About. <laughs> couldn't be happier if that, <laughs> that happened. That's the most important thing. It, it like, really 100% is. 100% the most important thing. You know, just justice for players and all the time they put in and how they should, you know, I put put that to the side. It's all about the video games for me. Well, and that's what it is for almost for most of the athletes. I mean, most people are just ecstatic to be in the game. And yeah. if, if you if you sent I mean, most guys, if you send them a free copy of the game or whatever it may be to compensate them, yeah, yeah, that would completely cover it because it's like, okay, now I don't have to be uh, QB QB number 18. I'm JT Daniels in the game or whatever, whatever it may be. Like most guys would love that. And I think that that would be great. Yeah, it's it's simpler than the answers are simpler than people I think want to make them out to be. I know that the the repercussions are, are difficult. And I do give the California legislation a lot of credit for taking this on. Um, I know they get a, a lot of criticism for a million different things, but this is definitely something they should be going all after. And if this is what you know makes the NCAA change their tune, then more power to them. Uh, let's get into watch list season. This is the other thing. We talked about how July is for trades and for... Uh, position previews. It's also for watch lists. Uh, Jay Tufele makes the Bednarik Award. JT Daniels makes the Maxwell Award. There's going to be so many more uh, later on going forward in the next couple of weeks. Alicia, of any of these watch list stuff, is there any that you care about and any prediction you're willing to make about someone who gets snubbed or makes one of these things that might raise an eyebrow? Or is JT Daniels on the Maxwell the eyebrow raiser? No, it's not the eyebrow razor at all because the USC quarterback is always on the Maxwell. Um, yeah. And JT Daniels isn't technically the USC quarterback yet, but he was, and he is the favorite, so he's going to be on that. And that's kind of why watch lists are irrelevant, even though, 
you know, I make my living writing about sports on the internet. And so this is something to talk about. So I run with it. And uh, in that sense, like, I get why they exist, even though they're completely irrelevant. Uh, the thing I find interesting is that J2 Fele on the Bednarik is a reflection of the hype that's following J2 Fele into this into this offseason. And he's on all of the all pack 12 kind of teams and stuff like that, which I think is deserved. But if I was going to throw out some names, I think that Palaiana Teote and Talano Hafanga have just as good of a chance of making it into like a semifinalist list for the Benaric Award as J. Tufele does. Uh, it's just the, you know, name recognition and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then talking about maybe a wide receiver or something, maybe they don't know who yeah. to go to, but the Bolitnikov is, isn't necessarily that far away from a, a wide receiver in the air raid. And oh, yeah. if, you, if you become that the guy in that system, I mean, and so the easy one is to point to Michael Pittman this year. Looks like the right. lead guy. Looks like the guy that could be a number one receiver within that system, the Michael Crabtree type, type or, uh, you know, someone like that. So I think maybe they don't know who to go to or just because there hasn't been a standout the past couple of years. But if, if, if we see a new offense from USC that uh, functions, then I think one of the receivers is going to be right there. Oh, that would be my yeah. my prediction. My prediction will be that a USC receiver will make it into the semifinalist list of uh, the Bolitnikov. I'm, I would take that bet. Yeah, no, I would not take that bet because I agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty spot on. I couldn't tell you uh, which the, one. The harder bit is do you do, if I had to narrow which it down. One? Yeah, yeah, I, and I think so many people are overlooking Tyler Vaughn's. Yeah, I think it's really si- simple here to you know we've we've talked about it before. Amon Ross probably going to lead in catches. Michael Pittman's probably going to lead lead in touchdowns. But don't be surprised if Vaughn's leads in yards or something like that. Like I think all three of those guys have the ability to be Bulitnikov contenders. Uh, I don't think all three of them are going to be finalists or anything like that no. because they're going to compete against each other. But one of them sh- should race to rise to the top um, a little bit. But talking about bets, let's move over to the Pac-12 over-unders for wins. Uh, the Westgate Superbook in Las Vegas put out their their over-unders this week. I want your guys' pick your for sure thing for the over and your for sure thing for the under. Uh, and then also make a USC pick. USC's over-under is 7. Uh, the rest of them we have written down in our rundown here. Uh, we won't go over all of them, but Trent, if you haven't taken over, who are you taking? Uh, I'll go ahead and take the over on a Washington nine point five. I think that's I think that's a lock here in the upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think it's a good pick, Alicia. I am high on Stanford, so Stanford at seven wins. I think I'm pretty certain they're gonna be an, an eight or nine win team. I like Stanford there uh, for sure, but I I hate betting on numbers that are even. Because you got to get to eight wins. Eight yeah. wins, like I'm 90% sure that Stanford wins eight games, but I'm not 100% sure. If it was six and a half, I would 100% throw a lot lot down on Stanford. Uh, so I think that, that changes it a little bit. Um, I, I think for me, I I, I don't know. I, I probably take that Utah at nine, which means that they win 10 games. Maybe that's overly yeah. bold. I wouldn't bet. I mean, I I'd think feel Utah's better if it was good, Utah but... eight and a half. Yeah. 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 I feel better. If it was eight and a half, it'd be a 100% lock. Uh, what's your what's your pick for an under, Alicia? I, I'm a struggle because the, 
That means like that essentially means picking somebody in the South who's going to be bad. And I don't know which of the teams in the South is going to be bad. Am I weird? So I was looking at the watch list today, for instance. Colorado has Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault coming back. And then mm-hmm. they've got Mustafa Johnson on the Bednarik uh, watch yep. list. And I was just like thinking, like, I know everyone's super low on Colorado, but are we too super low on Colorado? Like, I can't take the under on those four. They arguably have the best player in the conference. Yeah. Chenault. And I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what ASU or Arizona or UCLA going to do. I, I don't want to touch those numbers. They're both. They're all at 6.5. So I'm I'm going to like. This the only one that I feel even semi confident and not even confident, but at least somewhat confident is I would take the under on Utah at nine. Okay, I, I would I would feel more confident about that if they had less guys returning. Yeah, that's why I'm too, not too many dudes returning for me. I think that's more a reflection of how. So I I think it's a definite over for me there. I just don't but, know what anyone yeah. else is gonna do. Like maybe Washington State is the one. Like. Are they going to overachieve again this year? It might be Eight high, wins? but again, they they keep you know defying keep, expectations. Yeah. yeah, Trent, what say you? Who, who's your under for me? For me, I think it comes down to Washington State and Arizona State this year, just because they did have a uh, turnover, especially at the quarterback position. And uh, I'm going to have to go with Arizona State on this one. That I don't. Six and a half. I don't. Yeah, I don't trust them to get over the six and a half wins there. Um, they, they have a couple easy ones early on, but uh, it's going to be tough to navigate the Pac-12 schedule here for Herm this year, I think. Yeah, I think they, they lose so much. I mean, they get back, you know, Benjamin, who was one of the best running backs, but I think they, they lose a lot by not having, uh, Wilkins and, and not having Harry. I, I think those are, those are two big losses for them. Uh, I'm going to take Arizona under at six and a half. I, I think that any one of these teams in the South, I think can win eight games. Yep. Um, maybe, maybe say for Colorado, I think any of those teams can win in eight games, but I feel like if there's anyone that will for sure not do it, it's Arizona. So I give me Arizona six and a half, uh, the under there, uh, last thing to mention, there was a tweet on Sunday from Chris Lowe of ESPN. It said records the last three years versus the final AP top 25. These are coaches. Dabo Sweeney, 14 and two, Nick Saban, 14 and three, Brian Kelly, eight and seven, Kirby Smart seven and seven, Mike Gundy five and five, Clay Helton six and seven, Mike Leach four and five, Chris Peterson four and five, Jimbo Fisher six and eight, uh, Chris five and seven, Franklin five and seven, Frost four and six, Malzon six and ten, Harbaugh five and nine, Mullen three and eight, Chai three and eight, D'Antonio three and ten, Fitzgerald two and eight, Ference two and nine, and Patterson two and nine. Again, Helton's really high on that list. And I put on Twitter, I said, for the worst coach in the history of college football, Clay Hilton's pretty high there. People responded, um, not too thrilled with me for tweeting that, including you, Trent. You said boo, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, I, that I did. So I, I saw this list and I decided that, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and go through it and just take a look at, you know, what those wins looked like and who they were against and when they happened. And he's got some quality wins against ranked teams. And that's going to be the Penn State win in the Rose Bowl, Stanford a couple of yep. times in 2017. And then I think his crowning crowning W of his USC tenure is that 2016 win over Washington. That Washington win was just so clean uh, and really set the tone for the rest of the season for that USC team. And then you have some wins against the Colorado, U of A and Colorado types again. 
it, it comes and I know you got this response a lot, but it comes down to Sam Darnold and you had Sam Darnold and he's the one that's leading the charge and you have all this other talent around him where you have the Juju Smith-Schuster, you have the Adoree Jackson, you have all these guys who are great players. That re- I think that just helps you stay afloat as a head coach when you have all this this huge talent gap between you and the teams that you're playing. I mean, they are legitimately more talented than every team they played outside of maybe Alabama. Yeah. Then I look at the the losses and just how last season went. I mean, now you're talking we have a four and five record against unranked teams. Yeah. Last season. So he's not the worst coach in the world. That it's definitely definitely not the case. But I just think that the play the players and the talent at his di- disposal should mean that you are winning more often, especially when the Pac-12 is down. I mean, the Pac it's not it's not as good of a conference the last couple of years. Yeah, I think the Pac-12 is deeper than it's ever been, but it's definitely not. You don't have Oregon at their peak, and you don't have Stanford at their peak that they have been. In, in recent years, for sure. I, I think for me that, that what makes this list interesting, it is and it isn't the placement of Clay Helton. It is because he's so high, but that's not because I'm interested about him. I'm more interested about everybody else. Like, I'm fascinated how Jim Harbaugh is 5-9. and nine. I'm fascinated how David Shaw is 3-8. and eight. Kirk Ferentz is 2-9. and nine. You know, the, these coaches that we prop up and, you know... Everybody on this list, I think any USC fan would take over Clay Helton. Every single one. I don't think there's a single person on this list that somebody would say that they would take Clay Helton over. Every single one. And yet, there's several of these people who have worse records than, than Clay Helton. And to me, what that says is winning college football games is hard. It takes a lot. It takes talent. It, it takes chance. It takes luck. It, it takes not screwing up. And for a while there, Helton didn't screw up. Part of that was because he had a lot of talent around him. When USC has this much talent, it means that those talented players could carry him again. The, the thing that bugs me more than anything is I, we see these comments on Ranchor.com that, you know, Clay Helton has let us down time and time again. He, this is the worst era in the history of college football and USC football and all this stuff. These are like actual quotes that people have like wrote on our comments. And I just have to sit here and think, did, did you not see the Rose Bowl? Like, did you not enjoy the Rose Bowl? I'm not making a case for why Clay Helton is good. I'm making a case for why you're not going to live in a time period where you're dominant like Pete Carroll. At least have something to show for it. If you're going to have struggle bus seasons, at least have something to show for it. USC has had things to show for it under Clay Helton. And part of the reason of being a college football fan to me is enjoying the highs and hating the lows. And I think that what happens is USC fans are so scorned by Clay Helton to the point where they can't enjoy the highs that are not a 10. People are not enjoying the nines. People are not enjoying the eights. College football is all about enjoying all those numbers for what they are. I, I, I feel bad. I feel bad for people like Ronald Jones. You know, no one talks about Michael Hutchings making the biggest tackle of this, maybe of the century for USC football against, you know, Saquon Barkley on third down in that Rose Bowl. If that happens, SC doesn't win the game. Like all these things go into it. And it's not all about Clay Helton. It's about what it takes to win games in college football. And I just want people to enjoy things for what they are. That, that's my that's my only thing. Because there, there's nuance here. He's not the greatest coach. He's not the worst coach. It's somewhere in the middle. And it's somewhere in the disappointing scale of things. But can you at least acknowledge that the team, while he was there, at least did something? And acknowledge them, at least, for what they did? Yeah, well, nuance is not something that 
USC fans. Am I asking seem too to, much? Like, I, I think I'm not, I'm, I think there are USC not, fans who think that you're asking too much. But no, I'm not what, trying to cape for Clay Helton here. No, but I'm that's, really not. that's this is where like I get frustrated because I come off as a Helton shill when all I my, half of my arguments about Helton are he's not that bad. In fact, if you look at his numbers statistically, he's actually a good college head coach. The problem well, I'm not is go that far. no, no. But seriously, no. But ser- th- what this list tells me two things. This what looking at. I'm not trying to go down that. No, that road. no, no, no. Let me make my point. Look at this list. What do you see? Everyone is mediocre except for Saban and and, and Dabo Swinney. Everyone sure, is mediocre. Yeah. Everyone is mediocre. Mediocre against the AP top top twenty five. Yeah. That college head coaches that are mediocre are actually good. The, the, yeah. the problem is, is that you have these guys on the Mount Rushmore who are legitimately great. And there's only two or three of them in college football at a time. And if you mm-hmm. are on the outside looking in, guess what? You got one of those mediocre head coaches. This is why I always say that USC fans who I and I trust me, I'm on the board of getting rid of Clay Helton and moving on and finding somebody else because I would like USC to go out and find the next great top tier top, you know, top three head coach, because when USC has won national titles, how have they done it? Pete Carroll was one of the top three head coaches in, in his time. John McKay was certainly one of the top three coaches in his time. The ones who have won the national titles have done so because they've been one of the top two or three. So you, in order to win a national title at any school, even USC and Alabama and all of these schools, you have to have one of the premier coaches in college football. So right. USC fans who act like everyone else has it better than them, no. No, the only people who have it better than you, USC fans, Texas fans, everyone like that, are Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State until Urban Meyer left. Like, that's the sad truth of it, is that the the coaches that we think are mediocre are actually quite good. They're just not great, and we hold that against them, which, perfectly fine, I'm holding the fact that Hilton's not great against him. But, like, he's up there with, you know, you can't, you can't, Act like, you know, like you said, the nuance of he's not the worst head coach in the world. Like Kirby Smart, Chris Peterson, like the reason I was against Chris Peterson being being USC's head coach from the get go is I didn't think he was going to win a national title at USC. He hasn't won one at Washington. I know that I know that's not a perfect comparison, but like I still don't think Chris Peterson would win a national title at USC. Just like and this was the second thing that I noticed when I looked at this thing, just to ramble on a little bit more here um, on like CFN or somewhere like that, uh, they were talking about like bold things for the year and they said that urban meyer won't be usc's head coach but james franklin could be and as soon as i saw that i was like oh roll my eyes no no you're trading in one mediocre head coach for another like and this numbers prove it six and seven versus five and seven against top 25 they're both in the same boat there's not that much that separates the james franklin's from the paul chris from the clay helton's clay helton's probably on the lower end of that scale the the difference is Franklin is five and seven against the AP top twenty five. Helton went five and seven against everyone on his schedule last year. Well, yeah, but that's the difference. Yeah, the the the, the, the valleys are much lower for for Clay Helton there. So that was just my rant. My my rant again. It comes down to like I'm not <laughs> I'm a I'm a Clay Helton shill, but basically in the he's not Paul Hackett, guys. Like let's not let's not go overboard here. You could still be doing a lot worse than what's going on. At USC, right. I mean that it's not, it's, which isn't an excuse. No, by the way. no, like, no, I, I, no. I don't think we mean that as an excuse. No, it's, no. it's 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 just the fact that it's not as bad as it could possibly be. So don't think it's it's as bad as it possibly could be. But I think I think the frustration with Clay Helton simply just comes back to the process and what it looks like. 
and mm-hmm. USC the last two years has not looked like a team that's building towards a national title. It's looked like a team that's right. holding its head above water and then finally falling under the water last season because when it just it just hasn't worked out and you don't the offense looks incoherent. Everything looks like a struggle. So, but to get to Michael's point once again about enjoying things, well, that's that's where we're at as a society is that. If you're not winning the national championship, then the season's a failure. We don't enjoy yeah. the, the Rose Bowl anymore. We don't enjoy winning the Pac-12 championship. I mean, they're beating Stanford in that Pac-12 championship game, even as difficult as it was to get there, and that season was difficult to watch. I mean, that was a good game. That was USC played well yeah. in that game, and so that fourth down stand was awesome. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's definitely positives that you can see in there, and he did some good things there. And I'm in the same boat that I think that USC would be better off if they did have a better coach or, you know, went in a different direction because I think there are a lot of guys on that list that you do have a higher ceiling with than what Clay Helton brings to the table, just to be honest. But it's difficult to get that guy to fall into your lap like Lincoln Riley or to, you know, quit his job at his previous school and join a media network in the city that you're in and then eventually end up (laughs) (laughs) being the head coach. Maybe maybe that might happen, but who knows? We'll see. It's going to be really awkward if he's at Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, Even more awkward if he has to interview Clay Helton. Because I I feel like if you're Fox, don't you want Erwin Meyer talking to the other coaches and, you know, the the great coach picking the brains of the other good coaches? Like, that's what I think you want if you're a TV person. And you got Skip Bayless on your network, so... Yeah, there's yeah. there's the controversy. Let's let's bring it on. People people <laughs> there, pay attention. There you go. One hundred percent. Let's get into the mailbag and we'll wrap this thing up there. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right. Let's start with a question from Jeffrey Cassidy. What's more likely? Pittman winning the Bolitnikoff, Naoteote winning the Butkus, Daniels the Davy Bryan, or Carr the Doak Walker. Trent, what say you? I'm going to go with Naoteote winning the Butkus, just because I think watching him last year and even in the limited amount of gameplay that he got, uh, we'll have to see what Clancy Pendergast's defense looks like as in the simplified form, but I just think they're going to rely on him heavily. I think he can hold down the middle of that defense and do a lot of great things. And I know the offense might be better. And we already talked about Pittman being in there, but he has that other competition that we talked about as well from his own, his own receivers. So his other receiving core mates. So I think that now Teote can go in there and be a dominant force this season for USC. Yeah. I like that pick. The only thing that gives me pause about that for, for like this coming season is I don't know, like defensive awards are weird. I wonder if USC's defense overall will be good enough for now Teote to get award look-ins, which is why I'd go with the Belenikov for Pittman, even though maybe sharing the touches with Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Bonds might complicate that. The air raid uh, also might complicate that in, in that sometimes people discount numbers that people put up in the air raid. But I think Pittman could have a lot of big moments uh, in, you know, in the right games. And he can be, it can be more about his individual performance than the team, which I think is something that it's often a drawback for the defensive awards, uh, certainly national awards. Yeah, the defensive awards a lot of times feel like team awards uh, because it factors in. I think if you're an individual, it's easier to stand out on offense when you have all those statistics. Now, Teote, if he's going to stand out, um, 
A, SC has to be really good on defense for him to to win that award kind of in the same way that uh, that Ray Maluga won the Bidneric in 2008. I don't think 2008 best player on defense was Ray Maluga, but he was the face of that defense, right. so he got it by default. Whereas Naoteote can get it as the face of the defense, but he can also get it as the best player. Uh, and he might have the best case in that sense, but I think Pittman has the, the pathway. It's just the competition that Trent mentioned. That's going to be so difficult for him to overcome. I, I think if we're saying who wins it in 2019? I think Pittman has the best chance. Who wins it overall? I think Naoteote winning the butt kiss has the best chance when all is said for next done. year. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think both those things can be the case. Car and the Doak Walker, this is the one I don't want to bet on. I, yeah. I think that... No chance. Uh, for, for, for two reasons. One... We haven't seen him healthy, and two, it's going to take like 2,000 yards to, to do that. And, and I don't think he's going to get that. that, that. Yeah. He's not going to get those carries uh, with all the other backs that USC has, nor is he going to get that much of an opportunity, period, um, just because of the offense USC plays and the other guys that he's got around him as competition. Daniels winning the Davy O'Brien. There's a universe in which it happens. I just We just have to see it actually come to fruition. Uh, we got a tweet from Scourge. It says, going into fall camp, what position groups are still in the need of resolving? What questions still surround the team position-wise thanks and fight on. Alicia, this feels a little bit like a spot for us to plug those position previews on Patreon a little bit more. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. As little as five fifty five a month to get all those Patreon previews, which begin next week. But off the top of your head, what's the the one position group that you think has the biggest question marks? Well, on the offensive side of the ball, it's the offensive line, uh, particularly the right tackle spot. That's going to be an interesting thing to track in fall camp. And then uh, not even getting into the quarterback uh, on defense. I'm going to go with the entire secondary. I think I know what the lineup is going to be, particularly. Uh, I think I think I know what the safety and nickelback situation is. I think I know who the starters at cornerback are. But if there's a position that's going to throw us a curveball in fall camp, I think it's cornerback because a lot there's it's so lot many new faces. There. Yeah, and to kind of echo Alicia that. The offensive line is somewhere that I always look to, and especially when the offensive line hasn't been as good as you need to win a national championship. But if you're going to ask me which one is the most important to resolve, it's the quarterback. I mean, that's yeah. you have to have the right guy there, and you see that in 2016. If you have the wrong guy there, your season gets off on the wrong foot, and then you eliminate yourself from you know potential playoff consideration. If you get the right person there, it kind of solves a lot of other things on your team. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, both of you guys, I'm still in the boat that I don't care who the quarterback is and I don't think it matters. Strictly because of the scheme. And I know part of that is, that's just me being 100% overly confident in Graham Harrell. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not necessarily because of Graham Harrell, it's because it's different. Um, but yeah, uh, I would go the defensive backs too. Just because there's so many guys that there, it's just a matter of picking the pieces. Every other position seems easier to project. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Byron Davis, who says, What defensive scheme would you like to see the Trojans implement uh, if they currently don't use it or use more of? For me, more than a scheme or, you know, whether you're lining up in a 3-4, 4-3, 4 whatever it may be, it's the, it's the style of defense that you play. And it's that I want to see a little more bend, don't break. And that's, that's what I want to see from USC. And, and then you get back to where maybe you can get the pass rush going, only send four guys hold make make a college offense drive on you make them string together an entire drive consistently throughout the game to beat you because i think you saw that a lot with usc last year on offense 
that college offenses have a difficult time not shooting themselves in the foot at some point yeah. within each drive. I mean, there's and if you can get a couple playmakers on your bend but don't break defense where, okay, now we'll pick up a sack here every once in a while because of a great individual play by a defensive lineman or whatever it may be. Okay, now you put the offense behind the eight ball on that drive. Okay, maybe we're going to be really staunch in the red zone. And that's what our team identity is. I think that's I think that's what works in football. I think that the New England Patriots do that. I think that Alabama and Clemson do that. And they have great players to go along with that where they do generate that pressure on the quarterback. But I don't know if they're necessarily super complicated within their scheme. It's the fact that they make the offense beat their beat their best every time. And it's you, you got to drive a long way to score on those teams. So I'd like to see that from USC. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, I think that for me, the thing that I would like to see USC implement is what I think they're in the process of implementing, which is basically to tailor the defense more to the personnel instead of trying to fit personnel into things that worked before. That's the big thing that I've come away with this spring when they switched to more of a traditional front with with Christian Rector playing more of a traditional defensive end role and them moving um, Connor Murphy and having Drake Jackson and Nick Figueroa and them as the as the sort of fourth down lineman, um, I think that they were living in a universe where they had a Chenonowosu and Port Augustine available to them in those hybrid outlads outside linebacker positions, without realizing that, like for instance, Jordan Iasefa was no Chenonowosu. So stop trying to pigeonhole. Or, or for instance, like Leon McQuay worked so well in that nickelback spot that they thought they could have the same results with Ajana Harris there. And I liked Ajana, but he's no Leon McQuay in terms of that, his athleticism. So I, I'm kind of hoping that this is what they're doing this year, where guys are more suited to the positions that they're putting them in instead of trying to sort of pigeonhole players who aren't necessarily built for roles that they made when they had better athletes or people better suited to those roles. Just simplifying the defense to get the talented players yeah. on the field. I think that could be a huge change. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to have now Teote off the field, to be right. honest. That it, it drove, it drove me insane that, I mean, and there's guys ahead of him, but when they're hurt or what have you, I think or he's got to be. they're Ruben Beaters. Yeah. I think, I think he's got to be out there. I think you get your most talented guys out there. And yeah, if they can't grasp the simple defensive concepts and they're going to have big breakdowns, then you, you can't have them out there. I understand that. But when you're asking them to learn a NFL playbook, as a freshman and you can't get these guys out there that could really help your team in certain ways, I think you're only doing yourself a disservice. 100%. To, to me, I think you guys kind of nailed it um, in a lot of different ways. At least you kind of made me nervous when you said, you know, don't rely on what's worked before because I kind of feel like going to like a four-man front feels that way. Well, Don't go to a four-man front because it worked for Pete Carroll. Yes. Like, like that is a dumb reason. That's but not a reason to do it. Go to the four-man front because you... Need Christian because Rector on the field, and that you're is more of a reason. Put him in a position yes. to succeed. Yes. go to a four man front because you you see something in Connor Murphy, and you want him to give want to give him an opportunity. Yeah, that is a reason to do it. Don't continue to ask Jordan Iasefa to be Shannon Wosu, and then and then get upset when he's not Shannon Wosu. Like that's my big thing. Right. Uh, the other thing is go to a one five five. 
<laughs> or go to a, a, a one. How about a one seven three? They, they recruited all these linebackers. Put them all on the field at the same time. Let's do it. Why not? Just just go ahead. Have fun. Let's go to a tweet from Benjamin who tweeted us like a month ago, and we haven't been able to fit it in a, a podcast. So here we go. Uh, we typically end up somewhere in the teens for four and five stars. This year it looks like we've got six to seven. Who are some four and five star recruits? Uh, we have a decent decent chance with other than Justin Flo, Bijan Robinson, uh, Aiden Hector. Miles Morale and Gary Bryant. Alicia, you want to run down some some guys to watch? Yeah. So the reason we've been putting this off is because we hadn't done like it just this needs some research, requires some research. So I've done the research now. And here are some candidates that I'll throw out here. Uh, Three guys that USC leads in the 24-7 sports crystal ball are four-star cornerback Darian Green Warren, four-star linebacker Justin Houston, the brother of John Houston, and four-star wide receiver uh, LV Bunkley Shelton. So those are guys that USC obviously has a really good chance going into uh, this, you know, going into the fall. Um, There are also guys that I think USC doesn't lead for or another team does that USC is going to be in the conversation for once we get closer to December if USC doesn't fall off a cliff in 2019, which is obviously going to be a big factor. But four-star offensive tackle Chad Lindbergh recently visited USC, four-star defensive end Xavier Carlton, four-star linebacker Damon Sellers. Four-star linebacker Brennan Scott and four-star cornerback Dwight McLutherin. All of those guys are, you know, uh, Scott and Lindbergh are both 100% crystal balls to Texas, but USC is in the mix for them, so USC is in the mix for them. Uh, a lot of the other guys are just totally undecided, and USC is in the mix for them, so it all comes down to how USC manages the recruiting going forward. Um, then there are a couple guys who are currently committed that it's possible USC could flip. Five-star cornerback Elias Ricks, who USC has definitely been involved with, uh, is an LSU commit, and yet on the 24-7 sports crystal ball, it's still 62% to USC. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be a guy that to... seems high. That seems a little, a little high. high for someone who's committed to another school. Um, and then there's four-star wide receiver Treshawn Holden, who's an Alabama commit who just visited USC a few weeks back. And so, again, USC's got a foot in the door, and these are guys that USC could convince to look at USC. I don't think any anyone is guaranteed in that group, but it all comes down to how secure is Clay Helton's job and how secure are the jobs of his assistant coaches once December arrives? Because I think that's ulti- like they just need to stay in contact with half these guys. How the season plays out is going to ultimately affect where this recruiting class goes. If they win, they're going to get the big talent. Yeah. If they don't, they don't. That's how it works. Well, if they don't, uh, they're and- going to be fired and... You have to deal with that. Yeah, and the problem is now with the early signing day, you might not have the chance yeah, um, for someone else to come in here uh, and recruit and have the, the time to bring him in. So that makes it really difficult. Um, could potentially make things you know super poor for this recruiting class if things really go awry. But again, the chances there that SC ends up hitting on a lot of these guys because they win games. It all comes down to winning games. I will say, Dwight McLaughlin, tell me that's not the most A, Texas name ever, and B, like, that sounds like a war general from, like, the Korean War, right? Exceptionally Texas, yes. And he is... Super Texas. He is from Texas, and the school, uh, his crystal ball is 44% undecided, but the school with the most crystal balls in his favor is Texas A&M, so... Yeah. He might stay in Texas. Uh, let's go to a tweet from our, our pal, David Orange County. If you could have a beer and chat with any USC football player, past or present, who would it be? And what would you ask them? 
Trent. I think mine would just be Robert Woods. I, yeah, I think he was such an interesting player going through a difficult transition time for USC as a as a program. And I think he just did so many great things for the school and was that number one receiver that kind of kicked off the number one receivers who actually ended up in the NFL doing good things. And so, I mean, I would just talk to him about his USC experience, what it's like playing in Los Angeles still and all, all those things that I don't know. I think it'd be really cool to talk to him. I have a number two jersey uh, that people would think is a Dory Jackson, but it's a it's a Robert Woods jersey. So, <laughs> have you ever thought of putting the name Woods on the back? <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm a staunch believer in the. I mean, no, I would shame you for doing no, it. No, I'm but... an absolute staunch believer in the no name <laughs> on the back. You, if you have to ask, I'll just explain it to you, and that's that's fine. My number two jersey I bought when Taylor Mays was wearing it, but I bought it for Steve Smith. So. It's coming handy, though, because it's been a really good number this century. It's quite the number. Best part of uh, being a USC fan. You can recycle those numbers, for sure. What's your pick, Alicia? It's going to be super nerdy of me, but our patrons will know. I kind of am obsessed with this guy named Lloyd Thomas from USC's 1928 national title team. Or, (laughs) yeah, he was the MVP that year. He's not, he was the MVP of USC's first national title team and he's not in USC's Hall of Fame. He's not, he's mentioned twice in the, in the, in the media guide. Like he's lost to history and he was this badass. And I did an entire podcast about him on our Patreon. And I'm really frustrated because I cannot find anything about him after 1940. And I want to know what he, like, I want to know everything about him. So I want to sit down, have a beer with Lloyd Thomas and learn everything about him. A, two things. Number one, you need to like seek out his family and see if there's any family stories about him. Number but two. But now I'm afraid because I, of what we learned about, what's the, what's the guy who dubbed USC the Trojans? I'm forgetting his name right now, but no, now I'm afraid because it turns out he, he <laughs> His history is not very good. <laughs> no, it's not. No. And um, we're just going to keep it there because I don't want to say anything like that about Lloyd Thomas. No, no. But like, I just want to, I just want to know. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing, number two, I'd love to know how this conversation goes. Could you imagine in 1928, <laughs> you're, you're the, the captain of this team. And then someone from the future, from the 21st century, wants to talk to you about your impact. You were the captain on the first national title team at USC, and someone knows about you a hundred years later. And they tell you like, that, that like be, you're completely that would be super trippy. But they tell you that you're like completely forgotten, and no one ever talks about you, and you're sitting there going like, "Uh, what?" <laughs> yeah, this is the movie. Yeah. Anyways, uh, my pick for who I would have a beer with and chat USC football pl- with Reggie Bush. What are you talking about? It's Reggie Bush. Why? Because I want to know, like, what does it honestly feel like? And completely off the record, what does it honestly feel like to to be persona non grata? Um, to have every time your your highlights go on t- are, are put on Twitter, they go viral, and yet the school can't like bring you back. They can't do anything for you. Like, what does that feel like? Like, how do you balance your love for USC along with the you know discontent that you would have, right? And yeah, not only that, but also the what kind of conversations have gone on behind the scenes about right. the whole situation. I mean, who who has talked to you? Who's reached out to you? What what is the plan? What is the deal? Like, how, mm-hmm. how close have you been to getting back? There's so many things that are very interesting 
with that whole situation. Yeah. Well, let's go to a Slack message from Top Trojan Fan. What's scarier, tornadoes, earthquakes, or hurricanes? I'm leaving out a tsunami because that's clearly the winner if it was included. True story, though. Tsunamis are terrifying. Um, Probably go with, like, with tornado because I just... It's tornado or hurricane for me because I'm a Californian. I'm sort of used to, earthquakes are terrifying, but at least they only come around so often. Like tor- the idea of tornado season freaks me the heck out. Like I can't, I can't handle that. It could happen on any day. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, and out of nowhere, Whereas and just hurricanes. You know, it's coming for days. So at least you can a prepare tor- for it. That's a good point. Yeah, you could go to work today and then or. And then tonight, come home and your house is not there because of a tornado. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm out here in sunny Arizona where I don't have to worry about any of these things. So that's pretty (laughs) nice. But uh, I would say, you know, given the preparation time, if I'm caught in one of these things, I'm most scared of a hurricane because that's a tornado with water. And that's what that's what it comes down. <laughs> True. That's what it comes down to. I mean, it, the water element of it is just so much worse. The the power of water and all the, all that it it it's definitely frightening. So, but yeah, I would also agree that tsunami is just that's the worst. <laughs> Though I I guess an earthquake like you you're not prepared for that either. There's no earthquake season, so I guess it could happen at any moment. I enjoy earthquakes if there's no damage when they're small. Like the, yeah. Yeah, well, the seven point or six point nine, that nice one we had last week, that felt fun. It was like a roller coaster that you didn't have to like spend money on. You were hundreds right. of miles away from it. That's why it was fun. Well, true, it was fun for us. And if anyone was in Ridgecrest, then obviously yeah. it was definitely not fun. Not so fun. Yeah, the the earthquake could be could be a little bit of a problem if it's a, a major earthquake setting off a volcanic eruption. Oh, <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there, there's a lot that can uh, hey, go wrong with two, earthquakes. You two will have beachfront property, so oh, yeah, that'd you know, be, <laughs> you'll be sitting pretty. Let's wrap this thing up with a question from Dave in Orange County. Can we start a fake feud with the Parastyle Podcast for the Shots Fired bit they had about you guys not calling for their 1,000th episode? No. So... No fake feud required. This is a real, real feud, Michael. I'm. Oh, it's it's real as a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I listened to that episode and I heard Ryan Abraham flat out tell a lie. He did. Did, did you get a message from Ryan Abraham asking us not. to call in? I got nothing. I've got I've got a lack of receipts because I can I can show you my my Twitter DMs. I can show you my. My uh, phone text messages. Every, there's nothing. It's, it's all empty. There's there's nothing from one Ryan Abraham. So I think there's been slander. Slander has been set upon uh, our well, podcast. Was, the funny part is I was listening to the episode where they're talking about how they they got all these voicemails from media people, and I'm like, should we be offended because <laughs> like you know we had them call into us, but then you know I'm listening to it and it's all these you know big, big name people like like. Bruce Feldman and Dennis Dodd and and whatnot. I'm like, oh, we're definitely like we're small potatoes compared to them. So no, don't be offended. Like, the, you know, they, they had the ability to pull in some some real actual good people. And then we get to the end of the thing, and I'm, he mentions how he reached out to us and didn't get anything back. And I'm like, hold on, I panicked. I was driving and <laughs> pulled aside the road. I'm like looking through my DMs and my emails to see where I missed anything. Yeah, no, I, I'm I, offended. Shots fired, indeed. Shots mm-hmm. fired. An offense taken. Yeah. Tisk. Yeah. A- anyway, so <laughs> Just kidding, the point Ryan, is, <laughs> congratulations to Ryan Abraham. Yeah. We would not be doing what we do if it was not for 
Ryan paving the way. Oh, we, we put that on Twitter and 100% uh, I agree with it. Like he is absolutely someone who um, blazed the trail for what USC football could be, um, how it could be covered um, for podcasters, for writers, for everything. We would not be credentialed if it wasn't for him getting credentialed when he got credentialed and then setting the standard. Uh, we would not have a podcast if it wasn't for for him, you know, having the the wherewithal to do the Parastyle podcast, like all that stuff. Uh, he's he's the uh, the trailblazer. Then, well, and, so. and my favorite thing about the Parastyle podcast and Ryan in particular is it hasn't felt like a rivalry. Like like we were sort of the the you know small potatoes people, and he invited us onto his podcast because he wanted to talk to us. Like. Yeah. And and he's been extremely um, just, you know, helpful and, and friendly and, and warm towards us. Like, I, I appreciate that so much because he could have looked at us as, you know, potential like, oh, who are these people, you know, cutting into my market share or whatever. Not like we do very much of that at all. But like, you know, he didn't ha- he didn't he doesn't have to be as friendly as he is. And, you know, Keely in the whole game, like they don't have to be uh as as um cool with us as they are but but they're genuinely cool people so that's why they you know that's why we love them because they're genuinely good people and that's always nice to be around and the best in the business and uh we'll see him next week at pac 12 media day and uh we'll have to ask why we didn't get an email yeah or a dm yeah something anyways uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Trent, it was awesome having you on. We got to get you on more. Let people know where they can where they can find your, your stuff uh, on RadioTroy.com and then on Twitter and all that stuff. Yep. So you can uh, find me at TGood underscore four on Twitter and then uh, check out some of my articles upcoming here on Reina Troy. I'm sure we're going to get pretty busy here as the season's coming through and uh, here, here with Pac-12 Media Day. So I'm really looking forward to writing about USC football. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty awesome that I get to do this and look forward to providing some more content for you guys. Yeah, we look forward to it. Always uh, love reading what you have to say over at RainerTroy.com. As always, you can follow us, all of us, at uh, RainerTroy on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Troy on Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. You can subscribe for as little as $5.55 a month to get all of our bonus content over there, including the position previews, which are coming up. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about USC, and then also, I uh, will probably have a car cast from Pac-12 Media Day, where we'll all be there to talk about USC football leading into the 2019 season, uh, maybe we get some sound bites from other coaches other players and all that stuff from other teams and uh, get a sense of the Pac-12 going into the year. So look forward to that. Um, until then, at least you got a final word. The final word is FCS? Is that technically a word? Is an acronym a word? Uh, sure. It can be. No. I, I, was wait- no, no, no. I was waiting for you to tell us what it stood for and like something creative. No. I changed my final word though because I'm not creative okay. enough to come up with, with what a standard is. It's the parastyle. As in, how gorgeous is the parasol going to the look? The naked parasol. The naked yes. parasol. Oh, it's just so sexy, Michael. And all, like the the pictures and the videos that are coming out of the of the renovation. I know that it's a slightly controversial renovation. You and I have not exactly been as angry as other people have, have been about it since the beginning. But like, I'm looking at all these videos and pictures of this renovation and thinking to myself, like, man, that looks 
good. Like, I know it's not perfect, but, like, I think it's come out great. And I'm excited to see it in person. Yeah, me, me too. It, it'll be exciting once the season comes uh, comes around. And then seven games a year, every single year, including <laughs> UC Davis in 2021. Uh, until then, we'll see you. Uh, as always, see ya. See ya. See ya. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.